Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. I'm excited to be with you guys. I, uh, uh, as always, it's a tremendous honor uh, to have this pulpit. Uh, as you all are very well aware, we have a wonderful pastor, um, uh, pastors, uh, Eric and Heather, and uh, the man and woman of God that they are as they lead us. So it's always uh, very humbling and very honoring to step in here. And uh, I am who I am, uh, as I know are a lot of you, because of their leadership, their guidance, and their teaching. So I would be remiss if I didn't take this moment to uh, honor that great man and woman of God for all that they've done. Uh, So if you're watching, we love you guys, and we miss you, and uh, be safe. And uh, I do hope you get a sunburn, because it's only fitting. Uh, It is. If we're here and you're there, that that seems fair. So uh, we love you. Um, But uh, yeah, today we're actually going to be talking about something that the Lord, uh, he's been, uh, he revealed to me a little bit, he's been showing me a little bit more, a little bit more, and and, uh, actually I I did preach some of this sermon um, earlier, but then like I woke up earlier this week and I was like, oh man, there's so much more that I missed. Uh, So you guys are are, are getting, this this is actually specifically from the Lord to you, he wanted me to preach this to you tonight. Uh, and there's some, some fresh stuff, too, that, that uh, was, was, he, was, he was blowing my mind the other day. So uh, we're, we're going to uh, have some fun here tonight uh, as we talk about the promise of always and what always looks like. Um, because uh, always, you know, we, we think we have an idea of what always means, but um, I don't know. Always doesn't always mean always, right? Amen. Um, and, and that gets confusing for us. Um, so we're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel primarily, if you guys want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, and, and we're going we're to start in chapter 9, and then we're going to move forward. But we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you guys want to follow along in your Bibles. Uh, and as you're turning there, uh, I do want to let you know, I heard they're actually opening a, a restaurant on the moon, um, which is really exciting. Uh, the food's supposed to be fantastic, but unfortunately there's, there's just no atmosphere. Yeah, it's just it's none. So they really, really got to fix that. So he's not here. I had to do it. I mean, I did. You got, like if it wasn't a corny, I mean, come on, man. I'd be fired on the spot whenever he got back, you know? I love you guys. No, um, 2 Samuel chapter 9, before we jump into it, uh, like I said, always doesn't always mean always. It doesn't, you know? And in a day and age, too, whenever we see divorce being what it is, you know? Uh, or, or your relationship with your parents might be kind of strained, you know. Uh, they said always, and eh, it didn't turn out, you know. And uh, they're, they're, they're just, we, we live in a world where change is guaranteed, and so consistency doesn't really seem to be a thing, you know what I mean? And, and so always is, is really troubling. What's interesting, if you actually uh, read the Bible in the King James, every now and then an interesting thing happens. Instead of saying always, they say always. No S, right? And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about this at one point in time, and so I started digging deeper. In the Greek, that means absolutely nothing, right? If you start actually looking at the root words for always in the Greek, it's all over the place, right? And every time, it pretty much means what we think of always meaning, right? In perpetuity, continuously, forever and ever, amen, right? Um, but in the Hebrew, there are only two words that are primarily used for the word always, two words. 
And, and while you, when you look at them denotatively, they appear to be the same, which is to say definitionally, there doesn't seem to be much difference between the two. There isn't much distinction between the two words. But when you examine them in the context of Scripture, they're clearly used for very different reasons. And it's very interesting because there's two different kinds of always in the Scripture, in the Old Testament, in Hebrews, right? And like I said, it's not, if you, if you have your blue letter Bible or your olive tree or whatever, you pull it up, denotatively, the definitions are going to be the same, right? So today, tonight, what I want to do is I want to dive in and examine connotatively the context of what's happening whenever the Lord says always. So we can understand the difference between these two words and then what that actually means for us as believers because it's pretty significant. The two words are olam and tamid, right? So we're just going to make friends of those, olam and tamid, right? Olam, tamid, all right. And that's, I mean, if you, you got to like, sound like you're hawking a loogie if you really want to be Hebrew and Yiddish. And I'll spit all over everyone in the front row, so I won't do that. But the, the reality of it is, is that uh, with, with olam, when you see olam, it's more about covenant and promise, nine times out of 10, right? Olam is like, hey, from this day forward, I will until forever, always, right? So it's like olam is kind of like wedding vow promises. You know what I mean? The cool, there's a couple of interesting things about olam for that reason. Olam is almost always associated with promise. It's almost always the goodness of God telling us what he's going to do. There's usually a start point for olam, right? In other words, we know when the olam promise, when the always began. You know what I'm saying? Okay? And that, that's, that's key. And, and, and then olam is really, it's just kind of this is just the way things are now right? I promised it, and so that's the way it is. In other words, whenever my wife and I said, I do, we don't have to wake up every single morning and make our vows all over again. We said it once, it's done, that's the way things are now, right? That's Olam. You guys with me on Olam, right? Okay. Tamid's a little different. Tamid's different, and it's different in a couple of different ways. We see Tamid for the first time ever in Exodus, and it's given to Moses as God is laying out and explaining what the, the tabernacle should look like, right? Now, the tabernacle, as God is describing the tabernacle to Moses after he's given him the law, he says that I need you to build me a house, and this house needs to look like kind of what it looks like in heaven. So I'm going to lay out for you very specifically what things kind of look like up here, and you're going to make those things down there, right? And those things are going to be types and shadows and representations on earth of the things that are in heaven, right? Cool. You guys with me on that? Okay. So there, there are two big things that, that Tamid really kind of pops up on, right, uh, instantly as he's laying out the tabernacle. The first is the showbread, right? He says that the showbread will be brought and it will be pray, uh, placed on the table and that this, this will happen all way, right? It will happen always. This will be forever and ever. And, and he uses the word Tamid, right? He also uses it with the oil with regard to the lighting of the lamps. Now, it's important to note that, that oil is what is used, not candles. Why? Because candles burn out and have to be replaced. Oil, there's this the continuous supply, right? The light never runs out, okay? And, and so he says that the oil will be filled always, tamid, right? That, that it's this continuous thing, okay? A couple of things here that's important to understand with the showbread and the oil, right? The showbread is actually the presence of God, 
That's, that's really kind of like whenever you directly translate it, that's, that's what it is. This is God's presence, God's provision, God, God's, God's manifest goodness in our lives always, okay? That, that's that's kind of what the showbread is. And so we, what he's saying is, hey, this will always be a thing. My presence will always be there. But it's a daily thing, right? Every time in Scripture when you see the reference of the showbread and you see the word always, it's always to meet. Because to me, it is more about this daily performance with regard to the presence. I want you to hear me on this, okay? Same thing with the oil, right? We have to continually, daily feel the, fill the oil. And it always will be filled. It will be filled always, right? But we have to do this, and this will happen always, every single day, by the priests. Because the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit in a lot of different ways, right? It's the fire. This is the fuel, so we have the presence of the living God in the bread and the body that we know that was broken for us in Jesus, right? And then we have the oil, which is the Holy Spirit, which again is the presence, right? He also, God also mentions Tamid whenever he's talking to the children of Israel as they're being led out of, out of Egypt. He says that I'm going to have the, the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire, right? Pillar of smoke or the cloud of smoke by day, the pillar of fire by night to lead you and guide you. And he said, this will happen always, Tamid. Well, that's interesting, right? Because it was only for a period of time. We know that. Only a period of time that, the, that the, the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire were there. So what does he mean by always, right? What is he saying here? Again, God is talking about his presence with the children of Israel, right? Tamid's very different than Olam. Olam is what we think of in terms of a forever always promise. Tamid, Tamid, very, very different. Here's what God is really saying, and I want you to really hear this right now. When he says tamid, what he's actually saying is, there is no beginning and there is no end to this promise. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it always will be. And I need you to remember this every single day of your life, right? His presence was always with the children of Egypt. That's why he says tamid with the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire, right? That's why he's reminding them that even when you were 430 years in slavery, I was there always. There's never been a beginning to this. There will never be an end to this. The always with Tamid is about archetypes. It's about how it's always been. There is no start date with Tamid. And there is no end date with Tamid, right? The, the, the tabernacle in heaven has always been in heaven. It will always be in heaven. Right? So when he talks about the showbread and says Tamid, he's saying this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always going to be. When he talks about it with the oil, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always going to be. When it comes to me guiding and leading you through the day and the night and the deserts of your life, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always going to be. So you guys with me on Tamid, right? Very different than Olam. Very, very different. What's interesting about this too, and, and there, there's three Ps that we can kind of pull out of the, the, the differences between Tamid and Olam, all right? The, the first thing, like I kind of just explained, it's about the presence, okay? So the first difference between Tamid and Olam is Tamid is exclusively, entirely about the presence of God in your life, right? And that this is a daily thing. Every single time you see to meet in Scripture, it's actually talking about the presence of God, the always presence of God. You hear it referenced whenever it will always be on Aaron's heart as he comes into, uh, into the holiest of holies. It'll always be on Aaron's head whenever he's making repentance. He's talking about his presence 
Every single time with Tamid, the always promise of Tamid is about the always promise of his presence in your life. Always, right? The second thing is there's a promise that comes with Tamid, and we're going to get to that in a minute. And, and the reason why is there's a very specific individual that God uses in the Old Testament to show us his promise through Tamid, right? And the third thing we'll talk about is that there is a, a, a perpetuity, a, a persistence, right? So if you want to you you turn it into a sentence, it's about the presence of the promise perpetually, right? That's what Tamid is. It's about the presence of his promise perpetually. I just forgot for a minute. I don't know what just happened there. So you know how your brain stops working all of a sudden? That just happened. So, all right, welcome back. Here we are, folks. Love you guys. Y'all are good. I'm good. <laughs> We're all good. Amen. Come back, Holy Father. All right. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, the, we, we now know that to meet is about his presence. But what, it, what, is, what does that always mean with regard to his promise? Right? What, is, what does that mean? Because it is different. It is very different, the, the promise of Tamid versus the Olam, where he says, here's my promise, right? Tamid kind of has it wrapped up in it. It really does. And we know this because outside of the, the instances which I just listed, right, talking about Aaron and, and Aaron bearing the presence of God on earth as he's carrying out the Levitical priesthood, right, other than like the showbread and, and the oil, which are types and shadows, right? Other than that, there's really only one other time in the Old Testament that we see the word Tamid used. And it's in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where we see a very uh, unusual hero who is exalted by King David. And so we're going to go there. I'm going to give you some backstory back a little bit. So King David of David and Goliath fame, right? He was a shepherd boy who killed a giant and then grew up to be the king of the great nation Israel, the greatest of the kings, right? And is the great, 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 great times a billion grandfather of Jesus, right? Um, amazing man. And as he's sitting on the throne, and this, is, this is after he's, he's kind of walked around and said, I'm going to build you a house, God. And God said, well, that's amazing because I never asked you to. But since you're going to build me a house, I'm going to build a house in you. And in fact, I'm going to establish your bloodline as the bloodline, and I'm going to use that to bring my son into the world, and your throne will know no end, right? So after that's happened, so he's, the, King David is like, he's the man, right? He's sitting in his palace, and he's like, you know, I had a relationship with a guy named Jonathan, and we were brothers. Not really, right? We weren't blood brothers, but we were brothers in arms, brothers in faith. We, our hearts beat as one right? Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. He was. His dad was Saul. And Jonathan probably could have been really peeved that David was the anointed king of Israel. He could have. He had every right to have beef with David, right? Who's this punk kid shepherd boy who's going to come in and take my throne, right? But he didn't. Jonathan instead looked at him and said, yes, that's God, God's anointed, and I love him, and that's my brother, and I'm going to do whatever I can for him, right? And so because of that, Jonathan helped David. He never dishonored his father, right? But he also didn't help his dad sometimes too. <laughs> he helped David get out of harm's way, helped David get out of trouble, and their hearts really did beat as one. And Jonathan, also the good and honorable man that he was, didn't dishonor his father by leaving him and taking up David's side either, and eventually died with his dad in battle as a result of his father's sins, right? I mean, that's, that's a man right there. 
I mean, can we all just talk about what an unsung hero in the Old Testament Jonathan is, right? That's a man who understood honor and understood loyalty, right? And so David's sitting around, and he's like, oh, man, yeah, Jonathan, gosh, he just, the Lord brings him to his mind. And he says, is there anyone left? Is there anyone left in the line of Jonathan that I could honor? And we're about to read about the last living blood relative that Jonathan has and what David does for him, a man by the name of Mephibosheth. And as we see this, we're going to see the promise of Tamid, the promise of Tamid in Scripture. Let's go to 2 Samuel 9, uh, verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Verse 2. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Verse 3. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? That's important, right? He understands that this isn't about him, this is about God. Jonathan honored God when he honored David. And now David is going to honor God as he honors Jonathan's kin. You with me? Right? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Verse 4. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. I want to stop here for a moment and paint you a picture. This probably has to be a really terrifying moment for Mephibosheth, right? I mean, here's a guy, he was, as a baby, he was dropped as they were fleeing. Basically, both of his legs, for that reason, were broken, malformed. He's a cripple, right? And, and so because of that, now he, he's, he can't really defend himself, can't really do much for himself. And here he is being called to the house of David, his grandfather spent the better part of his life trying to hunt and kill this man, <laughs> right? And he's like, I need to talk to you. And he's just like, oh, I knew this day was coming. I knew this day was coming, and here it is, right? Time to pay the piper. So he is terrified, right? A lot of us feel this way sometimes whenever we approach the throne. As we approach the throne, we consider our past, we consider our crimes, we consider our condition, our unworthiness, the fact that when we're standing there, there isn't anything we're going to be able to do to defend ourselves. And so we just fall on our face and cry mercy. Right? We can really understand Mephibosheth, can't we? Let's see what happens. Verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. How about that? It's not about Mephibosheth. It's about his father. Ooh. Right? This is, this is Mephibosheth getting what his dad deserved, what his dad wants him to have, what his dad paid for. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Now, in the King James, that word continually is always. That word is tamid. Outside of the law, this is the only time we see tamid ever in Scripture in the Old Testament. Right? Pretty amazing. God's trying to tell us something here. He is. He's trying to tell us something about 
who we are. And this is the promise. This is the promise that comes into Mead. To Mead isn't about what you've done. To Mead is about who you are. And now I really need you to hear me on this. We talked about to me doesn't have a start point. Neither does your identity because your identity's in him. Which is to say, you didn't, you weren't saved in God's eyes from the point at which you believed. You were so completely saved that it's always been that way in his eyes. Come on now, right? In other words, you don't have a past that God wasn't a part of once you're in the family. He's always been in your life. He's always going to be in your life. His presence has always been there. You have always been with him. That is who you are. You are a child of the king. From the beginning of time till the end of time, there is no time with God because that's the Tamid always. And you're a part of it. You are royalty and you always have been. You are royalty, I'm telling you, and you always have been. Right? And so that's why he uses Tamid there. He wants you to understand that it didn't start when David proclaimed it. Because David proclaimed it, it's always been that way. When God tells you you're saved, when Jesus died, it's always been that way for your salvation. The inheritance, it's always been that way. The gifts, it's always been that way. The promises, it's always been that way, right? And, and, and so with the promise... There are three things that I want you to see that we're, we're going to look through here as we continue to read through this story. So I gave you three P's, now I'm going to give you three E's, right? Because we need to honor Pastor Eric. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now the three E's, first of all, that you are established, and this has to do with your identity. Secondly, that you are elevated, and you are elevated to a position of abundance, Right? And third, that you are embraced, that you are loved, and there, that there is nothing that can ever separate you from the great love of God, because it's a tamid, always love. He's always loved you. He's always going to love you. You've always been abundant. You're always going to be abundant, right? You are royalty because you've always been royalty, and you're always going to be royalty, right? And so we're going to keep reading. There we go. Then he bowed himself, this is Mephibosheth, and said, what is your servant that I should look upon, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? How many times do we think that when we go before God? How many times? And he doesn't want us to, which is why he tells us to come boldly into the throne room of grace. You need to know you belong here. You need to know who you are. You're not a dead dog. You're my child. Act like my child, right? And children... Emma can tell you, just scream and get whatever they want, right? She's three months old. She gets it. I cry. Mom and dad come running. This is awesome, right? It's the way it is. It's the way it is with him, right? And we go boldly into that throne room of grace in time of need, and we say, I'm your child. I'm royalty. This is what I need. Thank you, dad. Thank you, because it's mine, right? Uh, verse 9. And the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, King called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. Verse 10. You, therefore, and your sons and servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. 
but Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always again to meet. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, right? So here's the thing. You have your identity. You're seated at the king's table. And when you're seated at the king's table, you are royalty. You are. Only royalty gets to sit with the king, right? Now, he just got all his stuff back, and he's not even going to have to do anything about it. It's just provision that other people are going to work and give to him because that's what it's like to be royalty. And that's what the abundance of God is like, right? He's not just the God of enough. He's the God of more than enough, right? That's one of his names, El Shaddai. He is Jehovah Jireh, our God, our provider. That's what he does, right? So not only do you have an identity and are established in that identity, you also are elevated to a position where there is abundance for you. And that abundance is both spiritual and natural because all that was seen was framed by what is unseen, we know from Hebrews uh, 11.3. And so given that, right, if you have every spiritual blessing, you have every natural blessing. You do. So there's nothing that isn't yours in this promise of abundance, right? We're going to keep reading. Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. I love this. And he was lame in both of his feet, right? When we're seated at the king's table, we can look at our feet or we can look at where we are. (laughs) Most of the time, if we're being really honest, we like to look at our feet. We do. We like to consider ourselves according to our shortcomings, those things which would disqualify us those things that we just can't get over. But I'm telling you, nobody there is looking at his feet. They're just looking at the fact that he's seated at the table. And if we would just get into our heads the fact that we are at the table, feet don't matter. Feet don't matter at all. They don't need feet. They're carrying him to the table. They're seating him at the table. They're bringing him the food. Who cares about feet? You don't need feet whenever that's the situation, right? This ability is actually a social construct, right? If there were ramps everywhere, it wouldn't matter that you're in a wheelchair, right? It's because there's things that you don't have access to that result in you being, quote, disabled, right? He isn't disabled. He has access to everything. Doesn't matter what his feet are. He has all the access in the world. He's not limited, right? So we've got to stop considering ourselves according to our brokenness because I'm here to tell you every single one of us is broken. Every single one of us is a Mephibosheth. Every single one of us has issues. Every single one of us has problems. And thank God, every single one of us has a Lord and Savior who died for us, who covered us, who said, I'm going to carry you to the table. I'm going to sit you right next to me. And everything that's mine is also yours. You are royalty forever. You will be taken care of and established in this. You will be elevated to this position and you will be forever embraced because it's not about your feet. It's about the love that I have for you. And the love that I have for you and that embrace, there's nothing that's going to tear you from this table. Nothing that's going to tear you from my arms. 
And here's the other beautiful thing about Tamid. Remember, this is a daily thing. Every single day, Mephibosheth gets carried to the table. Every single day, Mephibosheth partakes of the bounty that he is given by grace and grace alone. And every single day, we have to do the same thing. Every single day, we got to wake up and stop considering our legs and let him carry us to that table and let us feast from the great multitude that our Lord and Savior has for us, that he died so that we could have access to, right? Every single day. And that's the difference between Tamid and Olam. I don't have to ask my wife every single day. I don't, to marry me again, right? But every single day, we do have to wake up because we have this mind which wants to look at our feet rather than where we're seated. And we are seated in heavenly places right now with our king. We are. But every single day, we wake up and we want to consider what isn't the truth And Tamid tells us, no, 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 every single day you need to wake up and consider what is the truth. Every single day you need to consider the bread. Every single day you need to consider the oil. Every single day you need to consider where you are seated because all of this is a part of the promise of always. Every single day, right? A couple of scriptures I want to get to you on that actually. Uh, Let's go uh, first of all to um, 1 Corinthians 2.16. It's at the, Paul is writing the Corinthian church, and this is his first letter, and uh, he, he's trying to explain to them uh, kind of what we talk about a lot, and I know all of you know this, uh, but, you know, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts, the great prophet Jeremiah, uh, it was used by the Lord to tell us that, and uh, a lot of times that is used by preachers to talk about how we will never know what God wants, <laughs> how we can never know what God thinks how we'll never be able to figure it out, which isn't the case at all. And Paul uses 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to explain that, where he says, look, you actually have access to all the spiritual wisdom that's out there because the Spirit knows the things of the Spirit, and you have the Holy Spirit. So you can know the things of God, right? You can. And he ends with this, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And, and he's using that as kind of a rhetorical question, right? Because there are a lot of people who are preaching that message of we can never know what God thinks. And Paul's like, that's garbage, right? right? And so he, he, he says that kind of like, well, the people say this. But then he comes back and he says, but we have the mind of Christ, right? People will argue that and people will say that, but they're completely wrong because the Spirit knows the things of the Spirit. So if you're of the Spirit, you know the things of the Spirit, which are of God. So you know the mind of God. You do. We have the mind of Christ. But here's, here, here's, here's the trick, and this is where Tamid comes in, right? Let's go to Romans 13, 14. We have the mind of Christ. For he, that's not it. Maybe it's four. I wrote, I wrote it down wrong, Brooke. It's not your fault. Romans 13, no, it is. should be Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Did I write it down wrong, bro? That's my fault. I'm sorry. There we go. Okay. There we go. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have, we have the mind of Christ. We have it, but we have to put it on, right? To meet every single day, We wake up and we need to go to the table. How do we get to the table? Well, we don't get to the table. We get carried to the table because there was no way for us to get to the table. That's why we have a Lord and Savior who can carry us. 
praise God, right? So every single day we wake up and remember, hey, I have, a, I have a God who loves me. I have a Lord and Savior who died for me. And because he carried that cross, because he carried my sins, because he carried my burdens, I get to be carried to the table. And today I will enjoy the presence of my God because that's a part of Tamid. Today I will enjoy the promises of my God because that's Tamid. And I need to put that on because it's a perpetual thing that I need to do every single day. Remember that I have the mind of Christ, but I need to put on that mind of Christ, remembering the always promise that is always with me. It's hard sometimes to let ourselves be carried. <laughs> it is. We like to do, you know? We, we, we get caught up in um, what we can bring to the table, you know? And I want to tell you right now, you do bring something to the table. It's you. But you have to let yourself be brought to the table because you can't get to the table on your own. And it's you trying to get to the table on your own that makes you look ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Right? It's, you're like knocking over things as you're like trying to crawl through like the throat. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like, let yourself be carried. Okay? Let yourself be carried. Because you do bring something to the table, and it's you, and that's what God wanted, and that's why Jesus died. He wanted you at the table. You bring you. Okay? But you gotta be gotta gotta let yourself be carried. And when you do, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because you realize that it's not about you working, it's about you resting in his completed work. And that all you have to do is be you. That's it. You just gotta sit at the table and be you and do what you do, right? So yeah, stop trying to knock over stuff and, and make a scene in the throne room, because really then you just look like a jester instead of a kid. You know what I'm saying? And we'll all get a good laugh out of it, but I mean, you know. I do it too, hey. I'm right there with you. The other problem with, with the carrying thing, and I'm going to be honest, this is something we've, I think we've got to do a better job. This church does it really well, but I want to speak in, in general, about society in general, and I do want to speak about uh, um, some other bodies that I've been a part of from time to time. We don't allow others to be carried to the table. Right? We're really cool with ourselves sometimes. I mean, and I say sometimes. Sometimes we can be our own worst critics, right? We're really good with allowing ourselves to be carried to the table. Um, but sometimes we get real bitter when other people get carried to the table. And we start looking at them and we're wondering why they're at the table. <laughs> you know? And then church becomes a place where uh, we have a tendency to judge a lot. And so then what church becomes, rather than a place where we're all carried to the table and we're all family and we're all enjoying each other, is we're all actually sitting around evaluating one another instead, right? Wondering how they got to the table. When we all got to the table the same way, you know what I mean, right? And, and the problem with that too is that then what happens is we become isolated. We don't talk to one another about what's going on. We don't share one another's lives because we're not allowing ourselves to be carried. And church becomes the place where we're not who we really are. When it's the place, the one place we can come and actually be who we really are. Know what I'm saying? 
And that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew when he says, to me, all of, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, who are burdened, who are weary, who are tired, right? Take my yoke upon you, for my way is easy, my burden is light. And that that's what we get to be for each other, that we can come to each other and say, hey, you know, I'm kind of struggling here, and be like, hey, just let them carry you, and let me, and we'll walk together, right? Because we all carry each other. We all walk together, and we're all carried by the one, right? So it's a beautiful thing whenever we, we can actually rest in the revelation of what it means to be carried because then we can really actually enjoy each other as family the right way rather than the family that talks about each other whenever you're not in the room. You know what I'm saying, right? So let them carry you and let him carry others, and let's celebrate the fact that we're all carried, you know? Just love each other. Because he loved us, and that's how we all got here. So now we just get to love each other. Amen? So the last thing I want to get to you guys, too, is uh, let's go to Psalm 1611. And we'll wrap up. This is one of my favorites, right? And I know we, we, you've heard this a lot, but it's always good to hear it again. Right? That's what we do. We come to hear the same things over and over again because we need to be reminded because it's a daily to me thing. Of, of the word putting on, right? You show me the path of life. This is David writing, talking to his God, his deliverer, the one he loves and the one who loves him, right? You will show me the path of life in your presence, Father, is fullness of joy. That's an amazing promise, right? That when we're carried, we're not fighting to please dad. We're not fighting to make him happy. We're not fighting to be happy. We're not. When we allow ourselves to be carried, we are in the manifest presence of love itself. And how can we be anything but joyful? Right? How can we be anything but happy in that place? And then it says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, because there's big bro, Jesus, seated at the right hand. The reason we get invited to the table, the Jonathan, if you will, to our Mephibosheth, Right? the one who paid the price and who walked honorably and upright and was not acknowledged for it, but died because of it. Jonathan did, Jesus did. And now because of that, we have an inheritance as children. And we get this glorious promise. There's something, uh, I, I'm going to jump ahead and, and, and we'll end with this because there's a way that this story ends and it, it's what I want to leave you with. Um, so give me five more minutes and we'll get out of here, okay? But I want to talk about how, how the story of Mephibosheth ends because it doesn't just end here, right? There's an interesting kind of uh, uh, current affairs, inside edition kind of uh, scandal at the end of all of this, right? It's, it's very, very TMZ and intriguing. So we're going we're gonna to jump into that real quick. Um, let's, let, let's go to uh, 2 Samuel uh, 16, verse 1. David, at this point in time, has kind of been betrayed by one of his sons, Absalom, and uh, he, he's kind of on the run, so to speak. That's the uber Notes version of it, um, but you should read it. It's a fascinating story. Um, anyway, so that's where David is, and uh, he's walking, and when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, we remember that guy, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, and 100 summer fruits and a skin of wine. That's a nice little bounty, right? Verse 2. 
And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, these donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Verse 3. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? Where's Mephibosheth at? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. Oh, that doesn't sound like Mephibosheth. What's going on here? That's kind of interesting. This took a right turn, right? All right? Verse 4. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Wow, that's okay. So Mephibosheth just lost all his stuff, right? Because he dishonored the king, or so it would appear. Let's go, let's go find the rest of the story out. Verse 19, right? So David at this point thinks, not only have I been betrayed by Absalom, I've now been betrayed by Mephibosheth. And uh, yeah, forget that, right? Psh, gone, right? Now let's find out the real version. <laughs> now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. Sounds like a bachelor's like paradise, right? Like it's just game time, right? Let's just cast away it up, right? All right. Verse 25. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? It's kind of, I mean, dude can't walk, eh? Right? I mean, that's a little, it's a little cold, David, right? Like, okay, verse 26. <laughs> And he answered, my lord, O king, my servant deceived me. Ah, 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 ah. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. Verse 27. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king, but my lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. Verse 28. It's really humble, really honored. That's the Mephibosheth we know, right? It is. For all my father's house were but dead men before, the Lord, before my lord the king, yet you set your servant among those who eat at your table. Therefore, what right have I to still cry out any more to the king? I read that, and it really convicts me because of the number of times I've been angry at God. <laughs> Wait, I was dead, and now I'm alive. And I'm angry about this, Right? Mephibosheth's here, and he's like, yeah, all that stuff is stuff, right? I'm seated at your table. I had nothing before I met you, and now I have everything. And that is, I have so much, that's nothing to me, right? That's Mephibosheth's attitude. He, he actually even takes it further, verse 29. So the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land, which, you know, I guess just happened then. You know, because we don't have it anywhere else in Scripture. But hey, fair enough. And here's Mephibosheth's response, right? Verse 30. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Here's what Mephibosheth understood. His king was everything. And being in the presence of his king was everything. Because the Tamid, pro the Tamid promise was all about presence. And now that he has the presence, he's good. I don't need that. I don't need that at all, David. I, I've got you, right? As long as I've got you, I'm fine. As long as you have God, you're fine. If God before you, what does it matter who's against you? Right? I don't care what your situation is. I don't care what your circumstances are. 
You have God. You have the presence. You don't need anything else. You don't. And as long as you keep your eyes set on that, I'm telling you, that fullness of joy, right? Those pleasures forevermore are yours. And you're going to experience them in the supernatural as that peace overtakes you and that joy fills your soul, and then in the natural as you continue to walk by faith, that same faith that saved you, that same faith in which we're found and we're known, right? It's, it's the beauty of the presence, it is. And so remember with Tamid, you have the presence of the promise perpetually. And the king is all you need. The king is all you need. Father, I thank you so much for this people. I thank you for your great sacrifice, Jesus. Because of the price you paid, we now have a right to be seated at the table of God Most High called children, a continual promise, and a promise that that's not only the way that it is, that that's the way it always has been, that you've always been there, and you always will be, that this is a promise that exceeds time, that has no beginning and has no end, and we're found in it. I thank you, Lord, right now for just your blessing that not only do we have your presence, but because of your presence, we have promises. And that we remember those promises every single day. That we will wake up and put them on. Acknowledge your presence in our lives. Rest in your presence. Allow ourselves to be carried to the table. And no longer cons consider our condition, but rather consider where we are. Seated in heavenly places right now with you. I thank you, Lord for just touching the lives of every person here. I thank you that they feel your manifest presence, that they understand the promises as you reveal them to them, and that they just continually to perpetually walk in them as they allow themselves to be carried by our Lord and Savior. I thank you, Lord, right now for just your blessing to be upon them. They have favor with God and favor with man, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. That no evil shall befall them, and no plague shall come near their dwelling. That though a thousand may fall at their side, and ten thousand at their right hand, it will not come near them, because you have made them to be the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath, first and not last, victors, no longer victims. I thank you, God, that everywhere they step, the kingdom of God is stepping with them, waiting to respond to what they say in faith. I thank you for... Your favor which surrounds them as with a shield. That they are blessed where they are now. They are blessed where they are going. They are blessed in the basket. They are blessed in the storehouse. They are blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I thank you, Lord, that they are healed right now by Jesus' stripes. That your love has restored them to perfection. And I thank you, Lord, right now for just wholeness in their lives. Complete redemption and restoration in every aspect of it. And that as they walk out of here, the light that shines in them illuminates a dark world that needs this great gospel. And I thank you, Lord, now that as they go, you bless them and keep them. Cause your face to shine upon them. Be gracious unto them and give them peace. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, 
please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.